on this week's Devils in the Details. An overview of the situations of six players who have their contracts expiring in June, and whether they are likely to stay with the club. As well, Onana and Hoyland have both faced injuries of late. What's the update on their absence, and how can United deal with it? Case, it's the international break, but we don't want to miss an upload uh, so soon after our return, so we're here and ready to record. We have a couple of topics lined up for today, as outlined in our preview, but, I mean, they don't quite fill the hour, so I'm guessing you're going to hear a little bit more of, or or our listeners are going to hear a little bit more of a free-flowing episode today. Um, Do you have anything to add before we kind of get into these expiring contracts and injury updates? Not really, man. I mean, I could talk about, I don't know, the international break, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, honestly, to a certain extent, the international break is a relief now, when usually it's a a nuisance. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, United return from the international break next week, and they're playing Sean Dyche's Everton, who have just faced a 10-point deduction that has somehow not taken them bottom of the table. So... The the narrative has already been written for Everton to get a win and take them out of the relegation zone, but um, I think they've actually been very good this season, so it's it's actually an interesting test for right when United get back, because I thought they were a lot more comfortable against Luton, but it was Luton, so. Yeah. No, it'll be an interesting one for sure. Um, Everton have been super expansive this season, which uh, is kind of funny, given that Deitch is uh is who he is. It's not not the uh, associated style of play. I think. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, we we need a result because after this, our our fixture list gets a little more complicated. I think three of our last six matches before the midway point are uh, Newcastle, Liverpool, and. I want to say Chelsea. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm interested to see how that goes, but also partially terrified. So (laughs) I guess we'll find out. All right. Expiring contracts. Yeah. United have six contracts expiring this summer. And given that they are running into the January window, now would be roughly the time you look to extend some of these deals. Um, And yet United have not quite yet. Um, and so I think this gives us a good opportunity to try and get some insight into squad planning in the longer term. Um, and I'll start with the center back situation because United have obviously signed Evans to a short term deal and his contract is expiring. Um, and then Victor Lindelof, whose contract is also out in 2024 with an option to extend to 2025. What do you see the future of this position being and how does that uh, involve Lindelof and Evans, if at all? I would be surprised if if Lindelof if Lindelof left, uh, especially if there isn't a managerial change. Lindelof seems like a pretty valued squad member. He's a decent player. He can play on both sides of the back two, the you know your center back partnership. Uh, 
Evans, on the other hand, you know, I think Evans just in general has sort of been, his acquisition and role in the team has been a bit odd. It's right. Like it was a, it was a bit of an odd signing to begin with. Not that he's played poorly, but I don't really know what to expect in terms of extending him just because, I mean, when he first came in, the the PR, what was out was that he wasn't even a part of the side, that he was just, you know, training with us to stay fit and, and going to be in, in training in preseason matches. Um, so I, I really don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I think the involvement of him over Varane in the last two or three weeks is something that deserves some kind of inquisition, but I don't really think before that it was anything but, you know, you had your four center backs and then three of them got injured. So you have to play Evans. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't really think he was signed to play minutes. I think it was a short term emergency option. You sent out uh, a lot of the young center backs who were kind of closest to the verge of playing for the first team. And then you went, what would happen if three of the four senior center backs got injured? How would we deal with that? And then signed Evans. And then exactly that happened. And you ended up actually having to play him. Yeah, perhaps not. I, the, yeah, the, my my thoughts on that issue were, were less about it being a, a product of dysfunction that Evans is a part of the squad and, and more about, I, I just don't know how the situation translates to his being re-signed um, or extended. But yeah, now, on the issue of Varane, I'm, I'm pretty confident with Varane, it's just that Varane, he's viewed as a right-sided center back uh, and, and he, the... Neither Maguire nor Varane are seen as options at, at the left-sided position, and and as a result, they don't play together. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, do you think that then he's choosing Maguire over Varane, yeah. given recent form? He's, he's, okay. he's, he's explicitly said that in press conferences. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I think that's fair enough, and... As for Lindelof, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a center back was coming in this summer, but it puts you in a bit of a weird spot, I think, because what you'd probably be looking to do with the center back purchase would be buy a long-term partner for Lissandro Martinez. But then if you have your other three center backs are Maguire, Varane, and Lissandro, seemingly viewed as your best three center backs at this exact point, I feel like that doesn't really put you in a position where you're going to keep Lindelof if you're looking to buy a center back, but it doesn't really put you in a position where you're going to buy someone who's going to play next to Martinez either. Right. So yeah. it's a really weird one. Yeah, it is a weird one. Part of me, I don't know, maybe you maybe you, you part with Maguire or Varane next summer. Um, I think that, that possibly makes more sense than parting with Lindelof. Yeah, because I, I think they both demand more minutes than Lindelof does. They're both less versatile. That simple. So those two variables. I think with Maguire, he's going to stick around now. I mean, I think with um, Maguire, just given that he's he was so leave. close to leaving. Yeah, I don't even. I I wonder how close he was to actually leaving based on his like recent comments about feeling vindicated that he stayed. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to leave, and I don't think that I think the club accepted offers, and he just didn't agree terms with West Ham. And ultimately, if you look at it, Varane expires in 2025, and Maguire is also 2025, but with a plus one. So you're really looking at probably 
either trying to sell Varane for a fee this summer or letting him go for free next summer. I think an extension is relatively unlikely. I agree. I think you sell him next summer then. I don't think that would be outrageous. Yeah, maybe. And maybe you even, I don't know. So then maybe you sell Varane and then let Lindelof walk after the plus one. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, I, I should note, Maguire's been quite good recently. Um, obviously, the second Copenhagen match, notwithstanding the handball penalty, which I think was un- unfortunate. I'm honestly very surprised that he's gotten up to this level again at United. I did not think it would happen. Yeah, I think he's been good. I think that in Lissandro's absence, he's also been very important um, because of his ability on the ball compared to players like Varane and Lindelof. I also think that when Lissandro's back, I would not be surprised to just see him dropped. You return to the partnership from last season with Lissandro and Varane, simply because Lissandro, I think, is perceived as so good on the ball that you can then afford to play Varane for his defensive merits. Um, whereas with Maguire, what you're getting over Varane is the on-ball stuff. Yeah, it's possible, however, that th- that doesn't seem it's to be... It's also possible to get Lissandro Maguire. I was, yeah, I was going to say, I also don't think that's kind of, that's how things have been done in the last year and a half. Like, if somebody's on form and playing, they stay playing. You haven't seen a lot of shuffling for the sake of shuffling. Yeah, that's fair. That's interesting. I kind of entered this thinking you might have a Fred situation with Lindelof where you trigger the plus one and then try to sell him. But now I'm actually relatively confident he's going to stay. But I also find it interesting that you would see like selling a starter in Varane in the summer. So it's it's curious to see how this unfolds. Um, the other defender that you have here is Wan-Bissaka, who has not signed a deal yet and he has a plus one. Whereas Dalo signed a four-year contract or a five-year contract in the summer. This is an interesting one because when he's fit, he plays, but he's not getting a new deal. Yeah, I mean, you definitely trigger the plus one, obviously, to preserve value. My thoughts on Juan Bissaka are well known. <laughs> I would sell him. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if he gets an extension. It'll be interesting. I think it ultimately depends on what you want to do with the right-back position. If you want to sign a new right back, then you trigger the plus one and sell. If you want Wambasaka and Dalo to be your fullbacks, you trigger the plus one and let it go. Um, and then you either decide to extend Wambasaka or sell um, or let him walk for free in the summer after. But at this point, I, I, while I don't think Wambasaka is the right footballer for United to play the way that I think they should be looking to play in many ways. I don't think he's I don't think he is without value at Premier League level. I think there are teams that would probably look to sign him. And so I don't necessarily think that you should let this contract run down to zero. I think you should look to sell him. No, certainly um, not. If he's not on the long term plans. No, yet. absolutely. You don't you don't yeah, let assets of any value Go for well, I don't know. Like, I think nothing. I think a player reaches a certain age, like with Lindelof, where I don't think you're going to get much money for him. He's he's going to be 30 at the end of the season. He's already like a middling Premier League player at best. Oh, I don't seems, really. Think I think that's harsh. Get... I don't think he's a middling. I think he's a he's a good Premier League player. He's. I think he. If you looked at teams that he would start for, like first choice, they'd be in the like eighth to twelfth yes, range of the Premier League. Agreed. So he's like a middling Premier League starter, I guess. Yes. But I I 
at 30, I don't think many clubs are going to be looking to pay a lot of money for him. No, but yeah. Whereas with Juan Bissaka, I think he's still, what, 26. So I think he could probably get a decent fee. You got midfielders here. Amrabat's loan is ending. That doesn't really, I didn't count that in the six, but I, I'm throwing that in. And then you've got Hannibal Medjbri, who has a plus one, and then his contract is expiring. Um, you're definitely going to trigger the plus one on Medjbri as well. Yeah, trigger the plus one on Medjbri. I would also purchase Amrabat, though obviously it's early days on that. Yeah, it kind of depends again, but what is I th- it I'm leaning towards wanting to purchase him too. Like it, I think if you have the budget for two defensive midfielders and how much you use Kabi Menu in the season, because if, if Kabi Menu is the starting midfielder, then I think you sign Amrabat for the 25 million and then leave it. But I think that's relatively unlikely, which leaves you in a position where you're going to have to buy a midfielder to start. And I don't really necessarily think that has to be Amrabat. You might want to spend on a I mean, I think you can still sell Casemiro for value and replace him with the money. That's true. That's true. But we're already looking at, like, what, center back, right back, probably a forward. So then I don't know if you'd end up buying two midfielders. probably need three forwards. probably need two center forwards and a right winger. Two center forwards? We we can't keep on doing – because I think you you let Martial go – and then you have yeah. Hoyland. Well, he's next. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you let Marcel go and sign one replacement. I I'd be surprised if you get two. I I, under, I appreciate that it is unlikely that you get two. I think you need two. I think most teams have I three strikers. Yeah, I could see you signing two strikers. I would I would imagine one of them would be like a relatively low budget, and then one of them would be a middling, like a young striker with a really high ceiling. That's what I would envision. Um, yeah, like I mean, if you're looking we, at last that's summer, that's what we've been envisioning be like, for years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I I do think you did. Ultimately, you did okay with the Hoyland purchase, if not well. And then now you're just looking to, like, I think you have to bet on Hoyland as the starter. So I think you're going to look at two middling options in the like sub thirty million range would be my hope. Um, and then yeah, right winger because at the absolute least, it looks like Sancho is going to be gone. Um, and there aren't really any other certain forwards in the senior squad except for left wingers. So right winger maybe is even the most important thing because, you know, as I've, as I talked about earlier this year, you really need elite players. You need, that, that's, that's one of the things that United yeah. desperately needs is an elite forward. Novel concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good player win game. <laughs> um, you, you need, and, and right wing is, you know, a, a space within which you can do that because you have a hole, crazily enough, after $200 million in spend over the last three summers. Yeah, I mean, I think I, what I worry is that financially the club goes, okay, well, we spent money on right wing, now it's time for you to figure it out. When I personally would go back into the market and fix your recruitment mistakes that were made in the past. Um, but, yeah, it, that is a big question that they have to answer, which probably governs a lot of what ends up happening in midfield but I wonder if it's likely that you go and sign you know a player like Sofiane Amrabat and then a big money press resistant defensive midfielder with like world elite potential um, and who that player even is at this point because United have missed so many of them we'll have more clarity by the end of the season I think um just for various reasons we'll you know we'll know who's the manager, we'll know uh, sort of how selection shakes out over the course of a full season when, you know, more people are healthy 
and will also have a better handle, I think, on, you know, what is Rashford, what is Hoyland. Those are probably the, and what is Garnacho? Uh, I, I suppose what is a what is a mod um, when he's healthy? Because I think those are the only forwards who really have a future here. Like I think you probably sell Sancho and Anthony next summer, or, or you should. Um, which I don't know, man. That, that's hideous. That's hideous. That's a hell of a lot of money spent. Can I say a hell of a lot? Probably not. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I I don't know. I am I'm pretty much in agreement. Like I think one thing I will say is I'm confident that the players the three main signings you made this summer should be starters next season. Yeah. Um I I'm something significant would have to change for me to change my mind on that. Like I think you did buy three starters and then I think the summer before you got Lissandro in as a starter. And you already had Rashford and Bruno, who will most likely be starters next season. Um, and then I think you have a couple of other players who could be starters next season. So it's really not looking that bad. No. Um, like, I think injuries and then whatever's going on tactically right now has made the team look like you have four or five good players max, and then the rest of the squad is useless, when I don't really think that's the case anymore. Like, I think Agreed. there were a couple of big, big misses under Ten Hag, but I think for the most part, the team has definitely gotten better and there have definitely been good additions that will continue to be impactful, even if he's not the manager anymore. So, Yeah, agreed on that. Two things. I think we do kind of have to address Anthony because I think we've kind of done a 180 on Anthony in terms of how we talk about him. Like we just, you know, we had a whole year where we're talking about Anthony has tactical value to this team. He, you know, plays at a certain level. Uh, obviously he has limitations, but he's still, you know, a plus. Um, and I think that narrative has kind of disappeared in how we talk about him. Uh, obviously other things have happened. First thing is that he's playing worse in possession, like significantly worse, um, this season than he was last season. Last season, he was like a solid goal threat whose final action just wasn't quite working out. And I think we both had some level of belief that if he continued to play that way, it would start to work out. Um, not necessarily to an eighty-five million uh, pound player Certainly value, not. but to a yeah. to a like solid to good Premier League player. Whereas right now he's playing just significantly worse. He's not playing like a solid Premier League attacker whatsoever with the ball at his feet. He's making worse decisions. I feel he's executing less on actions, which he already wasn't executing at like a maximum rate. Yeah, and I would like take it a step further. It's great to have, like, like the out-of-possession stuff and the shape in-possession stuff matters a lot. But at the end of the day, you do have to contribute to chance creation. And at a certain point, if one of your forwards is not contributing to chance creation, they have to, you have to interrogate that. And I, I think that's sort of the, the most important thing with him. Yeah, I don't think it's super complicated. I think that at his best, he's like okay to be the worst starter on a very good team at this level and he's not at his best now which is a real struggle and then there's also the threat of other implications that have from the stuff that's gone on off the pitch so i i think i would just look to start again again yeah i think that covers all of the extensions and because we talked about martial you let him go i mean he's he's 
Yeah, no, I wouldn't even. So this is actually a relatively good segue. Before we make the segue, I'll say we went through everybody now. I mean, Heaton, we didn't really talk about Heaton, but I don't know. I would make him manager at this point. So <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I would. We we said we'd probably possibly look to keep Medjbri after a one year option. Um, you might see extensions given to Wambasaka and Lindelof. You definitely won't see extensions given to Martial and Evans. And then, depending on the summer plans, you likely sign Amrabat permanently. Perfect. Yeah, Hoyland got injured in the last game against Luton. And it looks like he might be out at least for the rest of the month. And so there are maybe two or three games where you have to go without Hoyland. And so my question to you is, in light of what we just said about not wanting to extend Martial, what do you do with Hoyland absent? Do you play him or do you play someone else? I, I don't know. I, don't, I think probably you just go. With, <laughs> you probably just go with Rashford at center forward. Um, Martial really just doesn't <sighs> do anything. <laughs> like love him to death, but there's nothing there. Like you're not. Yeah, you, you're playing with ten men if you, if you have them on the pitch. So I I would prefer to have Garnacho and Rashford uh, left wing and center forward, and then maybe I, I don't know what you do at right wing, but obviously we've been figuring that out. Uh, yeah, I mean I would go. love to see Kabi Menu come into midfield with Mount and Amrabat and Bruno. That'd be great, but that's not going to happen, is it? McTominay is going to start. Yeah, so you're probably going to have Mount, McTominay, and Bruno in midfield, I guess, and then you're going to have. Garnacho, Rashford, and Anthony as the front three. Yeah, sounds it's right. not inspiring. Fix faith itself, in me. kind of. No, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> I think what I would do is, yeah, I would, I would just give Kabi Mainu a shot at this point and go Mainu, Amrabat, Bruno, and then Mount, Rashford, Garnacho. Yeah, I mean, ultimately. You know, you can talk about quality, and obviously United have some quality issues, but I think more than anything else, it's a depth issue. Um, it's a depth issue, and it's like some key players that you were depending on not actually being very good, as opposed to lacking quality in general. Um, like, I think I think you've got, I mean, just counting off the top of my head, you've got like 10 players who, at least 10 outfielders who I'm comfortable starting for United. Um, which is like, that's not a small number, I think. Um, obviously, you know, you have some redundancy at certain positions, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a quality issue anymore. I think it's like a, it's a depth issue. It's a, perhaps a tactical. And again, I think to a certain extent, a mental issue now, um, which like on the one hand, demoralizing, but on the other hand, also hopeful because you can turn those things around much more easily than you can get tons of new players in. Um, yeah. So I also see. think if you look at some of the other squads that are playing at this level, the backup players are never quite as good as the starters or rarely, but they are consistently, um, they consistently have a certain set of skills that they were recruited into the team because they have. And I don't think United were recruiting. Like if you think about it, if you had previous managers who signed a number of players and then Ten Hag came in and signed a bunch of players, he wanted to be starters. 
the previous manager's players are now the ones who are making up the majority of the squad. And I don't really think that they were, I don't really think that they have the same traits that some of the like worst backup players in other teams have. Um, like if you look at Arsenal's depth players or, you know, City's depth players are still really good, I guess. It's not a great example. Yeah, not a great Chelsea's example. Chelsea's depth players. Um, even if you look at a team like Brighton, a lot of their backup players are not that good, but they still have specific skills that allow them to continue to play the way they play tactically when their main players are out. And I, I think that's really what United lack. So it starts to fade a lot the moment you take away some key starters, which is a big problem. Yeah, totally agree. As for solving that problem, I mean, yeah, you just have to keep waiting and keep signing a lot of young players who are really good um, and hope that eventually you won't have any of the players who aren't good anymore. But right now, I think what you have to do is put the right players on the pitch. And it goes back to what we were saying last week. Yeah. Um, Do you know anything about Bayendir? I don't think any United fans have watched him play. And Onana's been hurt in the international break. I do know a few things about Bayendir. Uh, I know he was very highly rated in Turkey when he was younger. Um, like, was supposed to be, you know, national team, uh, you know, starter. Like, he was... He is their national team yeah, starter. Yeah, and I know he I is, know. but, like, he, he was supposed to be, you know, kind of a star. Um, and I don't think it wound up breaking that way. I think he had a very tough season. Uh, I don't think last season, but the year before, maybe. Um, and kind of came under some fire... Uh, but it's still a super talented player. Uh, he can pass the ball. Like, I think he's much more comfortable on the ball than other goalkeepers that United have had before. I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to make extensive commentary on the rest of his game, partially because I just don't, I've said this before on this podcast, I am not comfortable expressing super nuanced opinions on goalkeepers that I haven't watched a lot of. And I've only seen him play like maybe five or six times, um, so we're going to see, but I do think, I think he's fine as a, as a backup is, is, is what I expect. Yeah. I suspect Onana will actually be back, but just in case I thought I'd throw that in since we were talking about Hoyland's injury. Um, in terms of United updates, that's all we really have actually. So if there's anything else you wanted to talk about in the football world and then maybe a no details, we could probably do that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in terms of other things, have, did you watch any of the European championship qualifiers? Or did you watch no, Colombia, Brazil? I don't watch. This is my break. Okay, fair enough. This is my break from the sport we call football. Yeah. I Going back to the last Premier League week, I watched a couple games um, over that weekend. There was... Do you watch the Chelsea-Man City game? I did. I did. Crazy. Crazy stuff. City kind of shot themselves in the foot, but... Uh... I, I've never seen them look so vulnerable out of possession. Like, that was the main thing I... Whenever they lost the ball, it felt like Chelsea were running at them. Um, and there weren't that many players back. I felt that was so uncharacteristic of them. Yeah, true. However, I think ultimately it was some individual errors that, that really yeah resulted in them, in them giving up the big chances that led to goals. Things are starting to turn a little bit for Chelsea, I feel. Like, I think they're Definitely. starting to realize some of the attacking threat and reduce some of the other calamity yeah i mean what a lot of people are saying is they're going to go on a run of easy fixtures after this and throw all of them which is very possible but ultimately i don't think that i don't think that the madness is without method anymore i agree i think they're very close to being very good uh which is unfortunate uh but it is what it is (laughs) they (laughs) signed so many good players and a couple of phenomenal players 
that I think it, like you said, once you acquire the talent, it becomes easier to get good, I think. And like, they've definitely done it in a very inefficient way. And I think with the money they've spent, they definitely could have been a lot better than they're going to be. But that doesn't mean that they're not very good. Like they have a lot of very, very good players. Jackson, regardless of what you think of him, I think he's going to start scoring goals. Um, the two central midfielders they signed in the hundred millions, they're both fantastic. Um, Cole Palmer looks like he's hitting the ground running. Reese James. They've fantastic. got a number of and defensive options. <laughs> Which is nuts. Yeah, they're, they're, they their might have the two best options are like, yeah. they might have like two of the best three right backs in, in English football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Sanchez is not having the worst time of it. Like, I think he's still an error prone goalkeeper, but it's largely gone fine. I don't think he's any worse than like Keppa and Mendy were last season. I think he's definitely better, in fact. So, did, we didn't talk about this on air, but that Spurs Chelsea game was also just absurd. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that I don't think Postacoglu's tactics are, are wise. Um, and I, I think like, obviously they go down a man there and things get, get messy, but frankly, his, the, that offside line that they were playing even before they went down a man was suicidal. Well, it it was like, they're going to concede a lot of big chances this season. I don't think they're making top four. Um, and I realize it's easy to say that now when they've, you know, lost these last two matches. Um, but I don't buy the approach. I like the 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 kind of offside line they were playing. You haven't seen since like the nineteen seventies. Like that's the kind of thing you would watch, like late seventies after you know the Dutch national team had been really successful uh, and Ajax had been really successful playing so that sort of that aggressive trap. Um, and I just don't think there's a space for it in in the Premier League. Um, and that's not to say that that Spurs aren't going to get really good. Um, but right now, the way they're, I, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. Um, like I think fourth, at, if I were to, at this point, if I were to guess, would be between them and Newcastle. Newcastle, I think, have like excellent underlyings, also, by the way, which they did last season. As they well. do, but there are some big asterisks on that. Like they pasted the blades like eight nil, and there were a couple other games where they just inflated their xG massively, and then in some big games, they weren't bad. But they weren't, like, they weren't great. Um, I don't think they're the second or third best team in the Premier League under, uh, based on the underlyings, as they would say. Um, yeah, I, with Spurs, I think it's an interesting one, because I don't really think they have the squad to be expecting, like, a fourth place finish anyways. Um, they have a squad where they should expect to compete for that. Um, but I don't really think it's like, uh, they have the fourth or third best team in the league. They should be getting top four. End of story. I don't think they're one of the four richest teams in the league. And I, and so I don't necessarily think they play the same tactical game as sides like Liverpool and City, who I think have a lot of talent and should be finishing in the top four. Um, and so I think the question becomes whether, you know, I think post Koglu's style is going to make them win big in some games. And I think it's going to make them lose big in some games. And it's just a question whether it's adding value to them or not. Um, and I suspect that it's going to add more value than their previous managers. Sure. I'm not questioning that he's made Spurs better. There's no doubt about that. Like Spurs were not good. Yeah. To begin yeah, with. they weren't. So really my point is more about 
you and I have talked about before the the worst the worst the least effective tactic in top flight football nowadays is high line and ineffective or low pressure at the front. Um, just because Premier League footballers nowadays, every single one of them can play an effective ball over the top. Um, and obviously you saw Chelsea punish that to like an extreme extent because it was, you know, they were down to nine, Spurs were down to nine men. So you have to excuse that. However, even the way they play when they're on 11 men leaves a lot of vulnerability. I just, I just, I don't know that the offside trap, the way they, they utilize it belongs in the game anymore. I don't think the rules accommodate it the same way they used to. Um, but I don't know. That's, we'll see. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. And it's not like what, what they're doing is like super radical. It's just a little more extreme than you, than you see from anyone else. Um, okay. Last question for it. City obviously drew last week. Do you think they're going to run away with the run away with things by the time this is all said and done in like January, February? I wouldn't be surprised. That said, Liverpool look really good. I I could see Liverpool catching them or or sticking with them. Yeah, I mean I wonder whether Liverpool's I still feel like they have like a big personnel weakness in holding midfield and I wonder whether they're going to pay for that. I also don't think their attackers, I think they're very good. I don't think they're as good as the Liverpool attackers from like two or three seasons ago. So I wonder whether those things are going to play out and them just falling a little bit shorter of those teams that were in the 90 point region, but they're certainly playing really well and generating huge. I think Liverpool's right now, definitely so. got the second best front three in, in, in the English top flight. And I, th- I think it's closer to cities than it is to the others. Yeah. Who's third. I don't even probably Spurs maybe. Yeah. Maybe Spurs. Chelsea Spurs come to mind. Uh, yeah. They're definitely closer to city than Spurs. Um, I don't think they're closer to city than Liverpool 2022. Maybe. I don't know. I think, I think, I think Nunez, honestly, even though he's a wrecking ball and I've spoken poorly of him before, wrecking balls are what you need, uh, in this league. Players who just brute force create huge chances, and he does. Um, so whether it's ugly and volatile, different conversation. But I think I think he is fantastic. Ultimately, just in terms of his, his aggregate output. Interesting. I do. I do think that they are. I don't know if they're the most likely team to finish second, but I think they're the most likely team to beat City. If that makes sense, um, because I think they play with the odds more than Arsenal. Like I think you have you have a chance that Liverpool go on a 10-game run where they, like, smash everybody. Um, or or a five-game run where they draw every game or lose a couple games. Whereas I think it's going to be really rare that Arsenal lose games, but I think it's going to be pretty, pretty rare that, that they, they go on runs where they just... Exactly, yeah. Uh, because they take less risks. And what that means is you end up with a lot of games where you have stalemates. Um, and that makes them a lot... I, like, it, it's a weird like probability thing in my head that maybe isn't real, but I feel like it gives Arsenal an amazing chance of finishing in top four, but like a not great chance of winning the league. Okay. That, that, that's not a weird probability thing that's in your head. That's just, <laughs> that, that is the, that is correct. Like that is how that is actually the probability distribution. <laughs> I, I feel it is correct. I just yeah. c- cover myself because I haven't done any math to actually prove it. So totally agree. I, yeah, I, I think, I think ultimately my bottom line on Arsenal is is I I think they either need to massively upgrade their attack or you know get get 
really much more aggressive with how they move numbers around the box. Um, it's, it's one or the other, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, the underlyings definitely speak to what we're saying. Yeah. I mean, because we, Liverpool are well clear of Arsenal in the margins that they're generating. Yeah. And, and also the, we've created more uh, expected goals from open play than Arsenal have this season. Man United. Um, which is crazy. Yeah. Like that's nuts. So I think that that definitely speaks to what you're saying. And then they like, I think that means that over time they'll regress with the amount of goals that they're scoring compared to some of these other top teams. They are, as they stands, are fantastic from set pieces for what it's worth. And that, that, that matters and is a big deal. They, as it stands, I guess the counterpoint to what we're saying is um, they have an identical record to Liverpool and one less goal scored and the same amount of goals conceded. So, yeah, I'm not questioning whether Arsenal's approach works. Uh, however, I do question how consistently they're going to... Sc- I don't think they can score goals consistently enough to win a title, to be honest. Uh, but we'll see. Awesome. Um, la- okay, I'll, I'll throw in one more. Aston Villa. Um, do you think that they're actually a top four contender or top five team? Or do you think they're just kind of posing, posing. and got a lot of good results? Posing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think they'll. I, I think I had them ninth at the start of the season. I think I'm gonna hold on to that prediction that they will finish ninth. I'd move them up a little bit. I think they've been better than I expected. I wouldn't. They could finish above us. <laughs> they. I mean, yeah. If they finish above any of the top eight at this point, it would be us. Yeah. <laughs> of the eight that I have there, maybe Brighton. Um. Yeah. It's tough out here in these. But streets. I so like the highest I'd move them to is seventh, but. I don't think they're a top four contender, despite having 25 points after 12 games, which is clear of us. Clear of us. <laughs> so. All right. Okay. Do you want to do a no details? <laughs> yeah, we'll do a no details. I, I, you know, I put out, a, I put out a tweet asking for no details questions. You guys, only three comments. What is this? We used to get like 50 when I would put those tweets out. Brutal. We really fell off. They're, um okay people people stop checking twitter when you quit it so well honestly understandable i i i would have also <laughs> left twitter had i been a distinct twitter user and found out that i had stopped using um <laughs> if that makes any sense um no it, no it really doesn't <laughs> um okay no details this is the part of the podcast where you guys get to ask us any question the one rule being it cannot be about football I don't have anything, Aaron. Uh, however, I can come up with something. What is your favorite holiday meal? Can be any holiday. Can be any food. Uh, but you know what? What triggers the nostalgia for you? You're cooking Thanksgiving dinner, and I feel like in my family, Thanksgiving dinner is very similar to Christmas dinner, and that's definitely the meal that is the favorite holiday meal. Um, it is the one day of the year, or the two days of the year. That I want to sit and eat a bunch of turkey and stuffing and cranberries and, I don't know, like, little snacks. And then my family always has, like, rice and curry. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I eat rice and curry often. But the rest of it, that is the time of the year where you have to eat it. And then you get the leftover stuff, right? You get the turkey pie and the turkey soup and... My parents, over the years, have perfected recipes for all of these because we always have leftover turkey um, and we don't waste it. So, yeah, I think for me, it's um, 
Christmas Eve, we do, we just get like a big ham and it's just like ham sandwiches, like just eating ham sandwiches with mustard. That's it. Simple. It's simple. I'm a simple man. But it's like very, very good ham. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. not just like ham. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, yeah. You Like it's, it's a whole ham. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the Christmas ham for me. Uh, and that also turns into leftovers for like the ensuing days. Uh, so your Thanksgiving's on Thursday, right? So in the United States, Thanksgiving is on Thursday. Uh, however, a thing that is done frequently is Friendsgiving, which is where you make Thanksgiving dinner, except with your friends before, you know, people disperse for, uh, what is a national holiday in, in, in the U S, um, for our foreign listeners that perhaps don't know that. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing today. I'm, I've got a turkey in the oven right this second. Uh, in fact, I've got 56 minutes and 58 seconds left until it has to come out. So what you can do is listen to one full-length episode of Devils in the Details between now and when you're turkey And that's definitely ready. what I'm going to do, of course. <laughs> this is my own voice. Uh, I recommend number 37. Which one is number 37? I have no idea which one that is. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, we also have Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving. It's just that it's in October in Canada. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. no, I, I explained it for people who might not have exposure to Thanksgiving as a holiday. Um, not not to you, Aaron. That was not a... I know Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, all right. Number 37 is uh, the post-Ferguson years, a retrospection. So actually, that is... Uh, that, that, that is actually a pretty good one to stream that has if you have nothing to do during this international break. Yeah. Um, all right, man. This is a very scatterbrained episode. Do you have reading recommendations? I saw that, oh, that, that was we got question. that question from we got it from hoodie nick and he says what books are you reading and also i mean i have a relatively long reading list but i would be willing to add to it if you had a good recommendation sure so right now i'm reading dirt by bill buford um and it's basically it was a, it was a birthday present from a friend a while back and i just didn't get around to it um and it is about a sort of a food writer who moves to France with his young children and his wife in like his late forties or fifties. And it's fiction. I it, see. No, it's nonfiction. It is a true story. Um, and just starts working in French kitchens, um, and in, in Lyon. And I don't know. I, I just like reading about food. It's kind of fun anecdotes about French culture, idiosyncrasies of, like, that's another thing that I really like personally is, like, learning about weird little aspects of other places that you would never, uh, you would never, like, you never, you never know. Even if you went and visited, like, you wouldn't know, like, he, he gives one anecdote about, um, how, and I don't know if this is true or not. I read this in this book. So if there's anybody from Lyon or from <laughs> France um listening and you want to get mad at me feel free oh no feel free uh but he basically talks about how people from Lyon apparently don't really invite other people to dinner with them uh like they don't invite them to into their homes to cook them dinner apparently um i don't know weird stuff like that 
I'm, I'm honestly kind of doubtful of that one, which is why it's stuck in my head, but there's other ones where it's like... This is a really funny thing for you to recommend it, because I'm currently reading Kitchen Confidential by Anthony I Bourdain. recently finished that, yeah. It's, that's a fun read. I'm like 60% of the way through, yeah. It's a really interesting one, and I definitely want to watch Parts Unknown now that yeah. I've been reading the book. I loved that show, so. man. I loved that show. But yeah, I love uh, every episode of Parts Unknown that I've seen, I loved. So I want to try watching it start to end. Yeah. No, it's a great show. All right, awesome. man. All right. Next week, we got Everton and hopefully a happy recording session, but we'll see. We Thanks see. for listening, everybody. Slower, kind of less on-topic episode, but hope you're enjoying it during your international break and that you're enjoying your international break because you should be. It's the best part of being a United fan this season. <laughs> Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.